Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. You know, trying to balance your budget by cutting Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, it's kind of like uh, invading Iraq because you were attacked by 15 Saudis. Let's begin. Welcome to Sanity Cast, everybody. I'm John Fugelsang. This is the friendly little podcast on the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Podcast Network that is all about how to keep your shit together when your country has lost its mind and the Christians have elected Caligula. In the words of Dresden James, when a well-packaged web of lies has been sold gradually to the masses over generations, the truth will seem utterly preposterous and its speaker a raving lunatic. I know it's easy to get down, brothers and sisters. That's how gaslighting works and i know it seems really dark out there but just remember something huh stephen miller getting married proves that every man out there has a chance to find love with a white woman who's completely dead inside Anyway, I'm people saying it's great to have you with us. This is a show about what the fuck fatigue because our outrage circuits are burned out. There were so many what the fucks this week. I don't fault anybody for wanting to just get on the couch and binge watch Kardashians. I mean, this was a crazy one. This was a week when America had an Academy Awards without a host and a President's Day without a president. A lot to get through. But this is a very special episode because I want this episode to be about the Democratic Party civil war because daddy's had it 
the kind of nonsense I'm getting all the time from uh, lefty people for not hating centrists enough and from centrist people for not hating lefty people enough. It gives Donald Trump and Sean Hannity erections. And my mission in life is to be Jimmy Carter, Bishop Tutu and Bono rolled up into a fondue to come to the moderates and the liberals and say, stop giving Donald Trump and Sean Hannity erections. They don't deserve it. Stop hating each other. That's what we're going to focus on here. But first off, yeah, what the fuck fatigue, man? It was a crazy one. WikiLeaks founder, Julian Assange, his lawyers entered into the court record in London that the Trump administration offered him a pardon if he agreed to say Russia was not involved in leaking Democratic National Committee emails during the election. And I know it's hard to imagine that Donald Trump would offer a pardon to a corrupt person. But Dana Rohrbacher visited Assange. It was well publicized at the Ecuadorian embassy in London in August of 2017. You recall back in the day when uh, there was a tape where um, Kevin McCarthy told Paul Ryan that he thought there were two Republicans who were on the payroll for Russia. And who were they? Donald Trump. And Dana Rohrbacher. So, um, of course, you know, Rohrbacher has come out and uh, said he never talked to Trump about Assange. He didn't deny he'd offered this quid pro quo to Julian Assange. And so I know it's confusing, right? Like, God bless you, Donald Trump. In in like uh, one month, you've got me defending Julian Assange, Mitt Romney and Michael Bloomberg. And that shit's not easy. And Trump, of course, is denying it because who could believe he would ever ever do such a thing. This is Donald Trump, people. He paid Stormy Daniels to lie, and he told Don Jr. to lie about the Trump Tower meeting being about adoptions, and he ordered White House counsel Don McGahn to lie to Robert Mueller about the fact that he had tried to fire Robert Mueller. Uh, He tried to coerce Zelensky to lie about investigating uh, Biden. Oh, he also mocked that New York Times reporter's disability because the reporter wouldn't lie to back up Trump's lie about dancing 9-11 Muslims which is his way of telling us he would never tell Assange to lie. (laughs) It's also a good week for uh, George Zimmerman, who's now suing Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren because someone moved a rock and there he was. Uh, George Zimmerman has sort of become a racist Rorschach test and he is a hero to every person who wishes they could legally murder the person kicking your ass in a fight you just started. Then you got Michael Bloomberg. What a debate, kids. Did you like it? We'll talk about him more later in the show. But uh, Bloomberg, man, he just had the look on his face that he wished he'd bribed somebody to let the staffer who runs his Twitter account debate in his place. You can afford all those commercials, but you can't afford debate prep. (laughs) Uh, The Boy Scouts of America this week filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy um, in Wilmington, Delaware. Um, They'll be okay. They've got billions of dollars because they own so much land and campground in America. But uh, let me just tell you, the Boy Scouts, I got to hand it to them one thing. Yes, they had tons and tons of sexual abuse of of, of boys. Um, But don't forget, they kept gays out for a long time. And then they finally would allow gay kids, but not gay scoutmasters. So I guess the gay kids could be scouts. But when they turned 18, they became too immoral to stay in the organization organization that we now know was raping children as a catholic i have thoughts on this but i will give him credit just because when all of those heterosexual identified scoutmaster adults were sexually abusing all those boy scouts at least they never compromised their values and hired gay people um also i gotta tell you i owe michael avenatti a big apology he is going to jail but if he really is a thug who uses mob tactics and he falsely inflates how much money he has and he commits bank fraud then i admit i was wrong he really is qualified 
to uh, to run for president. We're, we're going to have a good one, too, because um, I got to talk about the, the Democratic Civil War. But also um, I'm going to close this out with a few lines from the most uplifting obituary you will hear all year or all decade um also uh we'll talk about bloomberg as well and the racism because i have really been enjoying watching sean hannity who is a racist he never met a birther he wouldn't book on his show uh and boy how many times did he have george zimmerman on to give him a pedicure and have one of those uh how you holding up champ pep talks so watching racist sean hannity take a break from defending racist donald trump to remind his racist viewing audience that michael bloomberg is a racist here's the problem man uh i think if michael bloomberg really wanted to help america he'd buy fox news he could do it four billion probably cover it he wouldn't feel it but i'll say this now if Fox News keeps playing all these racist Michael Bloomberg quotes, he might wind up as the GOP nominee. Careful what you wish for. Um, upcoming gigs, let me tell you. Uh, our SiriusXM show is now rolling at nights on the Progress Channel, 127, 9 p.m. to midnight. It's going great. I don't sleep anymore, and I live by freebasing espresso beans. But uh, we just had Ice-T and Rosario Dawson on the show, and James Taylor and Steve Coogan are coming up next week. So it's a really good time to subscribe to SiriusXM and stay up way too late. Or listen as a three-hour podcast the next day. Live shows are coming up. I want to thank everybody who came to the opening night performance of The Magnificent Bastards on Long Island, uh, New York last week. The Bastards are me and um, Emmy and Tony Award winner and Thurber Prize winner, Alan Zweibel, and uh, Louis Black. And it's us doing sit-down comedy. We bring some of our favorite celebrity friends on. And it's uh, political talk, talking about comedy, Jewish jokes, dirty jokes, old Hollywood stories, wherever it takes us. We did our first show in uh, New York a year ago with Susie Essman. We just had poet and author Mary Carr join us. And uh, it was wonderful. There's going to be a lot of those shows being added. You've never seen Louis Black like this. Uh, Alan Zweibel is is just so much fun. And I really love doing it. Upcoming dates live all over New York City all the time, but March 21st in Madison, Wisconsin with the Sexy Liberal Tour. The next day, March 22nd, uh, apparently I'm doing a fundraiser for John Ossoff in Beverly Hills. Remember him? March 27th, Albuquerque, New Mexico at the Free Speech Comedy Festival put on by the Trick Clock Theater Company. April 4th, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. with the Sexy Liberals at the Harmon Theater. June 6th, back to the Pantages in Minneapolis with the Sexy Liberals. We're also going to be doing uh, Miami June 13th. Chicago, July 11th, Boston, September 12th, New York City, October 17th. There are other dates on that tour that I am not a part of. I'm very sorry about that, but uh, check listings to make sure it's the lineup you want to see. Um, Finally, uh, Donald Trump, he granted some serious clemency this week to tax cheats and Wall Street criminals and billionaires and corrupt government scumbags, while thousands of poor and working class people sit in jail for nonviolent drug convictions. Um, Friends, half of the people in this country are living paycheck to paycheck. Half a million people are sleeping on our streets. Three people own more wealth than the bottom half of America. And Donald Trump is trying to weigh whether he wants to pardon Roger Stone. Um, Good God Almighty on a pogo stick. You know how Susan Collins says, I think Donald Trump learned his lesson from impeachment, which proves Susan Collins hasn't learned her lesson from anything. I mean, really, when Mitt Romney is the only Republican with long-term thinking who understands that this Trump thing, not going to end well. The only lesson Trump learned from impeachment was if you're going to extort and coerce a foreign leader to lie and smear somebody over the phone, and there's 40 other people listening on the call, make sure none of the people listening have any decency left. But 
now it's Roger Stone who's competing with Paul Manafort and Flynn over who's going to get pardoned first. Um, what a trial, man. A couple points to remember, though. Trump will pardon him. Um, I've never met Roger Stone. They he, they pitched him to me for my show several times, and I've always said I'll only have him if it's face-to-face because, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to get gaslit, and it's easier when you look at these guys. Also, I want to see what he'd wear because he kind of looks like, you know, a production of Guys and Dolls just broke out in a swing club. But uh, the trial was amazing. Um, God bless the, uh, Judge Jackson. First time in Roger Stone's life where a woman ordered him to be gagged and Roger wasn't paying the woman. Um, also, unsung heroes, the FBI agents, because we've forgotten this. When Roger Stone was arrested, hmm, it was during the government shutdown. So what that means is the FBI agents who arrested Donald Trump's best friend, they did it for free. They were being paid when they brought him down. In other words, uh, federal agents made it because he's flagrant. This was all about his attempts to, you know, gum up the Russia probe, and he was violating a gag order, limiting limiting his speech during the pretrial hearings. Oh, and he also made a threat to the judge on social media. Uh, judge Jackson summed it up, man. He was not prosecuted for standing up for the president. He was prosecuted for covering up for the president. This is not going to end well for Donald Trump or the toadies and fake Christians who support him. Roger Stone, he ain't worried. He, he has the confidence of a man who used to suckle at Roy Cohn's satanic teat right next to the man he knows will pardon him. And, um, you know, Donald Trump has got very good friends. Uh, Michael Flynn and Roger Stone and Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort and Rick Gates and Felix Sater, Alan Weisselberg, David Pecker, Elliot Broidy. Oh, and Jeffrey Epstein, too. Um, and, and if I may, uh, one last bit of racism from the president. Um, I'm recording this the night Donald Trump went after uh, Parasite, which just won Best Picture. First foreign language film to win. And I hope you'll see it. Um, to see Jane Fonda give Best Picture to a South Korean film about the evils of capitalism that is a satire and a horror film and a family drama and a really funny comedy but uh you know donald trump of course hates the film because it's a critique it's the movie's about you know how greedy rich people are completely insensitive to the suffering of working people and uh plus it involves reading for two hours you know it's not his thing his actual quote was uh and the winner is a movie from south korea what the hell was that all about We've got enough problems with South Korea with trade. And after all that, they give them best movie of the year. And then he said, gone with the wind should have won instead. Problems with this? Well, let's break it down. Number one, uh, Gone with the Wind came out in 1939. Wasn't eligible. Number two, this man has now criticized South Korea more than he's criticized North Korea, where, you know, they starve people for fun. But Trump loves Gone with the Wind. Do you know why? Because he likes to watch it backwards. And see the slaves learn their place as the film goes on. Like, you got to watch the tape to hear how the racist, is that the word? Yeah, racist audience cheered for what happened to Gone with the Wind line. Um, But then when he said, oh, the Sunset Boulevard, too, like they didn't even cheer because that's kind of gay, right? Look, here's the deal. When Barack Obama was president, I sort of stopped calling people racist. I thought the word had lost all of its power. And I saw a lot of right-wing guys who took it as a badge of honor to be called a racist. So I stopped saying it. 
Now I haven't. I, I think it's important to say all the time. It's also important to distinguish between racist and bigot. Because Donald Trump isn't necessarily a bigot to black people. He is to Muslim people and foreign people and Mexican people. But yeah, he's got a 45-year history of racism. Anybody ever tells you Donald Trump's not racist, you ask them, where was Barack Obama born? By the way, Hattie McDaniel, first uh, African-American to win an Oscar for Gone with the Wind. She's wonderful in it. Um, When the Oscars happened, she was not allowed to sit at the same table as Vivian Lee or Clark Gable when she wanted. Butterfly McQueen uh, wasn't even allowed in the theater. But Gone with the Wind, man. Uh, You know, it's beautiful looking film. As a child, I watched it. I watched it a lot. Everyone did. It was always on TV. I'm half Southern. It was just a big cultural thing. But from the first time I watched it, I appreciated how good the acting was. Vivian Lee's astonishing. Um, But I always hated the character of Scarlett. I just thought she was so shallow and superficial and had no empathy for other people. And I don't think her suffering actually makes her more empathetic to other people as the film goes on. It just makes her tougher and stronger for herself. And Clark Gable kind of he kind of rapes her, doesn't he? It's aging well, um, but it's great. God bless Trump. You know what? He praised God with the wind. You know, a film about how happy all the slaves were during the wonderful Confederacy before it tragically went extinct. And he did it during Black History Month, which is just to make it sweet. Donald Trump is so racist. His safe word for the Russian hooker to stop choking him: "All lives matter." True story. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to TriPlexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at TriPlexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee, so to get our special discount, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com. Okay, so um, I've been trying to think about how to talk about the ongoing Democratic Party civil war. I say ongoing because the liberals and the moderates have been at it for most of my life, and both sides make very good points. We don't need gradual improvement that is hailed as sweeping reform, and at the same time, it's a provincial racist country that is slow to evolve and grow and people will get really scared and George McGovern has been this Blair Witch pile of rocks scaring people from going deeper into the woods for almost 50 years but um, we got to talk about it because I for one I'm still depressed over the Bernie Sanders Hillary Clinton civil war I don't like watching mom's friends fight grandpa's friends and that whole thing was like this five-ish Finkel Margaret Thatcher cage match that had to go you know, like like I supported Bernie Sanders um, until the day he told me to support Hillary Clinton, and then I supported Hillary Clinton really hard. Um, the amount of hate I got from both sides, well, it's kind of tantamount to what I get today, and maybe some of you are in the same position. I'm not endorsing anybody officially in this here presidential campaign. I will fight for whoever the nominee is, even if it's Michael Bloomberg. More on that later. It won't be. 
But like, here's the thing, right? Abraham Lincoln um, once spoke at the Cooper Union here in New York City, and he he said something here. And this is back when, you know, the the Republicans were the, the liberal party and the Democrats were the conservative party. And Lincoln said, I would address a few words to the Southern people. You say you are conservative, eminently conservative, while we are revolutionary, destructive, or something of the sort. What is conservatism? To me, conservatism uh, is a thing that doesn't mean what it used to mean. It doesn't stand for family values. doesn't stand for fiscal responsibility. doesn't stand for personal character. doesn't stand for Christianity one tiny bit. Conservatism in 2020 stands for blind obedience to Trump and owning libs, right? So, um, on the other hand, the Democratic Party, of which I am not a member, but I always support, they're perpetually at war with each other, despite the fact that, you know, they kind of agree on so many things. Uh, I've said before, the Democratic Party motto should be, fuck you for only agreeing with me on 85% of stuff. The Emerson College National Poll has Bernie Sanders as of now, as the top choice among Democratic presidential candidates with 29% of support. Uh, Biden's down to 22. Um, Michael Bloomberg, 14%. Senator Warren, 12%. So, a couple things. I'm going to address uh, both sides on this because this has to stop. And I don't pretend that my little podcast or my little radio show or my little stand-up act can ever move the needle. But I'm going to be a voice in the wilderness here telling Democrats that you have to disagree with each other and vet the other candidates and fight for your candidate without hating your allies. I say this every day to a Bernie supporter or a Biden supporter or a Warren supporter or a Mayor Pete supporter. How does hating Bernie help defeat Trump? How does hating Joe Biden help defeat Trump? How does hating Michael Bloomberg, and I know, oh, it's easy to do, but how does hating Michael Bloomberg or his supporters help defeat Donald Trump? Now, I get shit from Bernie supporters, um, a tiny minority of Bernie supporters, and I don't call them Bernie bros. I call them Bernie supremacists. And uh, I've been accused of being a Bernie bro, but I, I... you know, that's a pejorative. And it's unfair because the majority of Bernie Sanders supporters are lovely people. And I will also say that um, a lot of the Bernie Sanders folks online uh, are bots or trolls. You know, I mean, they're there to sow discord. And when Russia and Trump think that Bernie's the easy one to beat, it's kind of interesting to see how the trolls act. But um, Bernie supporters, I know how frustrated you are. I know that for your entire lives, what have you seen? Centrist Democrats who know better, playing it safe, not inspiring anybody, and losing the White House. I was there for Dukakis. I was there for Al Gore. I was there for Hillary Clinton. I was there for John Kerry. I feel your pain. I get it. And here's the cold, hard truth. Bernie, if he got the White House, uh, he'd be a good president. And he'd be a good nominee if the party got behind him. And um, I don't dispute the DNC was biased against him then. They're biased against him now. Mainstream media is biased against him. You know, journalists might like Bernie, but the people who write their checks, holy shit, no way. I mean, think about mainstream media and how much they hate Bernie Sanders. Like, if you could harness Chris Matthews' hate of Bernie Sanders, it would be a clean energy source that could power the nation for 10 years. Um, journalists might support him, but the people who write their checks, they don't want to lose their tax cuts. They really don't want to lose their Trump-sized ratings, and they don't want a more level playing field. 
but again, liberals are on the same side. And Bernie supporters, when you let yourself hate Joe Biden supporters, and when you tell them that these evil centrists are the problem and that they need to be eradicated, when you, I mean, not, not all of them say that, but I've had some say it. I don't mean murder. But when you allow yourself to group everyone who doesn't like Bernie as much as you together, all you're doing is hurting Bernie Sanders and pissing off the people you will need for a coalition once he gets the nomination. It is counterproductive. And let's remember there's one true thing in politics and only one true thing. Hate makes you stupid. So fight for Bernie as hard as you want or fight for Liz Warren as hard as you want. But you're going to need those centrists to build a coalition to get votes. So use morality, use logic, use facts to get people on your side. Now, the Bernie haters or the Liz Warren haters, and I know there's plenty of people that think Liz Warren is a right winger, too. Good God, I get it all day long. It was like when Obama was president, I, I really knew, you know, if uh, I was doing my job right, if I was called an Obama basher and an Obama apologist in the same day. Um, Bernie Sanders is not a socialist. He is not a socialist. He is not a communist. Bernie Sanders has called for, you ready for the number? Bernie Sanders has called for zero nationalization of private companies. Okay. Now, yes, does he, he does want to get rid of health insurance companies. Um, that's an area where I disagree with him. I don't think a president should have the power to end a private industry because uh, then the next guy is going to come along and want to get rid of porn or get rid of, uh, you know, oh, what do you got? But um, <laughs> Medicare for all is not communism. And it's not socialism. You know what it is? It's the exact same access to health care enjoyed by every one of our capitalist allies. So if you're going to say um, having universal health care is socialist or communist, um, then you're calling Australia and Belgium and Canada and Austria, the Czech Republic and Chile and Denmark and Germany, France and Finland, Japan, Italy, Israel, Iceland, Hungary, Greece, um, the Netherlands, you're calling uh, the UK, Turkey, Switzerland, Sweden, Spain, South Korea, Poland, Norway, New Zealand, and Portugal, <laughs> communist or socialist. And they're not. And people will say, well, we have the best health care in the world. No one's denying that. It's the access to the care that is incredibly shitty. Now, Medicare for all. And uh, I know how controversial it is, but yet another analysis by Yale University and the University of Florida and the University of Maryland found this week that if we transition the U.S. to a single-payer healthcare system, it would save an additional $450 billion each year, and the average American family would see $2,400 in annual saving. Some of you just don't like Bernie. You think he's too light on guns, even though he has a D- from the NRA. Um, here's what I'll say to you. No candidate's perfect. And I don't know who's going to get the nomination. Um, if it is Joe Biden, I know he'll be a better president than Trump. If it is Elizabeth Warren, I know she'll be a better president. Mayor Pete, Amy Klobuchar. Um, Bernie Sanders is a good person. And uh, Bernie Sanders is someone who would be a good president. But here's what you really need to know, Democrats who are nervous about this. Remember when Mitt Romney was running and Grover Norquist said all he needs to do is be able to sign, a, sign his name? On a, on a bill. The, the dirty secret here is Bernie Sanders cannot by himself do all the things he's running on. 
No individual has ever made a real impact on history. Um, Individuals who pass laws are the products of years and years of movement building. It's people. The most Bernie Sanders could do is pass the baton, move the needle. We will never be a socialist country, but we have always been a, a, a dual economy. We've always been capitalist and socialist. The 1950s, under Eisenhower, capitalism and socialism were both turned to 11. You had the interstate highway plan, the GI Bill progressive taxation of the wealthiest Americans, both parties having strong union support. Socialized healthcare is the system that is going to fix at least this culture of GoFundMes for healthcare ads. I personally think Bernie Sanders needs to drop the Democratic Socialist line. Should have dropped it a long time ago. He needs to call himself a capitalist with empathy or an FDR Democrat. And I mean, he needs to do that like yesterday. But again, uh, Medicare for all is not socialism, okay? You're thinking of Trump's wall that taxpayers are now going to pay for. Now there's Bloomberg. Um, where to begin? You know, we kind of thought on our radio show, Chris Houselt and I, that uh, Mike Bloomberg might show up and stink up the debate stage and Elizabeth Warren might have a comeback. We didn't think both of those things would happen in the first 10 minutes of the debate. Bloomberg is a very problematic man, and I don't have enough time in this podcast to say all the shitty things he's done and that he's fought for. Mike Bloomberg stood on that debate, on the on the presidential uh, uh, convention stage for the Republicans in 2004, after we invaded and occupied Iraq, after there were no WMDs, and he told America why they had to reelect George W. Bush. He called Obamacare a disgrace last year. I mean, you know all these things that Bloomberg has done over the years. You know about stop and frisk. And and, and Bloomberg lied. He didn't end it. He only ended it because he, he, he lost a lawsuit. Trump, of course, tried calling Bloomberg a racist. And then delete the tweet because Trump not only supported stop and frisk, he wanted to take it nationwide. Remember that? 2016 in the debates with the Republicans? Trump was also the only 2016 candidate to call for confiscating guns from American citizens. He did it. Look it up. It's not the deplorables, man. It's the gullibles. Um, Bloomberg, you know, the NDAs and the sexual harassment claims and the misogynist things he said in the past. Uh, Pat Toomey. The, the senator from North Carolina. Bloomberg gave him $12 million the last time he ran for Senate to defeat the Democrat. And you know what happened? You know what he got for his $12 million? Uh, he got a senator who has voted with Donald Trump 87% of the time, voted Gorsuch under the Supreme Court, voted Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, voted to block witnesses in the impeachment, and voted to acquit Trump from the impeachment. Michael Bloomberg paid $12 million to help make that happen. So I'm not a fan. I also know people who worked for him and they don't think he's a good guy. But here's the flip side of it. Let's say it's Michael Bloomberg against Donald Trump. Let's just say that's the case. There's two things that matter. Two facts alone. Number one, climate change is real. Number two, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is 179 years old. And that's all you need to know. Would I vote for Michael Bloomberg? Well, uh, I get to vote in a blue state, so it's not that important. But if I was in a swing state, absolutely, I'd vote for him. And I'd vote for him in a blue state, too, because Michael Bloomberg supports women's reproductive freedoms. And when we talk about how old Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, we avoid talking about how old Stephen Breyer is. He ain't doing so great either. If Donald Trump gets a second term and they both have to go, you know what else goes, too. Bloomberg is also excellent on guns. 
Now, true, his zeal to get rid of guns is what led him to support stop and frisk so ferociously. And stop and frisk is something that people are still suffering from. There's kids who didn't go to college or high school because they got pulled over. They got arrested. Stop and frisk. 70%, over 70% of the people that were stopped and frisked were completely innocent. Stop because of the color of their skin. Bloomberg says he did it because that's where the guns are. And he wanted to stop gun violence. But you know what, man? You want? Why not do it at Wall Street? That's where all the crime is. And, uh, you know, <laughs> all the coke, too. But he went after the small crime, not the billionaire crime. So on climate change, which uh, Bloomberg, of course, believes and cares about deeply, he's great. With all these people, my... my, my, my we're, we're, I do a show called Fair and Biased, a state show that we're pitching as a TV show. And, and Fair and Biased is sort of just how I try to live because I, we have to give these people credit when they're right, even if it's a Donald Trump. I don't want to be a ditto head on any side. And we also have to call them out for their bullshit. And when it comes to Michael Bloomberg, I could spend all day talking. I mean, he's so against decriminalizing marijuana. I just, it's, it's crazy how many things he's so wrong about. He has no empathy. And, and he just... I don't know. I think the helicopter landed on the roof of the debate house so he wouldn't have to talk to people in Nevada. But he's great on guns. He's great on women's reproductive rights. And he's great on climate change. Okay? That's three areas alone where, yes, he deserves our vote over Trump. And it sucks, right? Having to choose the lesser of two racists. But friends, that's kind of how black folks feel most elections. Speaking of which, um, I'm starting to think the Democrats should just choose who their running mates will be to help us choose better, because it really matters who they would choose. And there was a new poll, a new national poll conducted by Emerson College polling that saw Kamala Harris as the top choice for president in the 2020 election race, unless there's someone else. Uh, Senator Harris got 20 percent as best pick for vice president. Andrew Yang came in second at a close 18 percent. Hillary Clinton, uh, who I think Bernie should ask to be his running mate, came in with 18 percent of the vote. By the way, I think all of them should ask Michelle Obama first. Mm-hmm. Um, Stacey Abrams, 8% of participants. Better or Work, 6%. Sherrod Brown, 5%. Andrew Gillum, 3%. Um, most of these people will not be asked. Sherrod Brown would be a great one. I mean, he's so pro-working class in that voice. He sounds like Nick Nolte was just gargling with Tom Waits. But if he ran, you'd have the Republican governor of Ohio appoint a Republican to his Senate seat. That's not going to happen. Um, I'd love to see Stacey Abrams. She's great. I do think that if it's a man on the top of the ticket, it has to be a woman, preferably a woman of color. We have to excite people. We have to get people to come out. Um, I'd like to also throw the name Val Demings into the mix, the impeachment manager from Orlando, a black woman, congresswoman, who is uh, the former police chief of Orlando. You know, I understand the temptation to get down on Kamala Harris for being a cop. Um, However... When you're running in the general, you're trying to say Democrats aren't the ones who are soft on crime. And a lot of this whole bullshit is reassuring white people that it's going to be okay. I know the stuff that makes them not liberal is often the stuff that gets a liberal elected. And uh, I have no idea who it's going to be, but I doubt anyone will pick Senator Harris as a running mate, which grieves me because I think she's one of the best public speakers in the party. And I'd love to watch her debate Mike Pence. I'd love to watch her debate Trump. But she's from California. They've got California. The smart choice is a, a woman or an African-American or both from the South. You want to drive up turnout, folks. Black women are the reason the Democratic Party has a pro-choice senator in Alabama in Jeff Sessions' old office. 
And this comes into the candidates as well. You know, I'll, I'll defend Bernie Sanders and say how great he is all day. But I'll also say Joe Biden is probably the one with the best chance of getting Doug Jones reelected. So it's in our interest to not hate any of these people. Um, it's just too easy. And again, that's what they want. You know, what I want is someone to promise that if they become president, we will get a truth and reconciliation committee. A long investigative process where all the crimes of Trump and his flunkies and his henchmen will be exposed just for posterity. We should have done it after Bush. I know they wanted to heal. We should have done it after Nixon. I know they wanted to heal. But uh, as Solzhenitsyn wrote in the Gulag Archipelago, when we neither punish nor approach evildoers, we are not simply protecting their trivial old age. We are thereby ripping the foundations of justice from beneath new generations. Damn. Hey guys, I wanted to give you the latest news about our good friend, Bill Press. Bill no longer does his progressive morning radio talk show, but he has not gone away. In fact, he's out now with a great new podcast, The Bill Press Pod, and it comes out twice a week. And I really recommend checking out The Bill Press Pod for Bill's wonderful interviews with some of the country's leading progressives, from Maxine Waters to Mark Pocan to Jamie Raskin, as they roast Donald Trump. Plus, it's still got Bill's terrific end-of-the-week roundtable with three of D.C.'s top political reporters, commenting on the latest craziness from the White House and Congress and the 2020 Democratic primary. For years, Bill Press has been one of the most intelligent, leading progressive voices in the country. So I'm so glad he's still out there on the left, stronger than ever. I encourage you to join me by subscribing to Bill's new podcast. Just go wherever you get your pods, search for the Bill Press pod, click on subscribe, and you are in for a true progressive experience with the Bill Press pod. Um, Here's some good news. Um, A U.S. judge in Arizona just sided with migrants who have been complaining for ages about the inhumane and seriously unsanitary conditions in some U.S. Border Patrol facilities all over Arizona. Uh, There was a seven-day trial. It was a while ago, and attorneys for the migrants, um, they sued back in 2015, argued that they hold immigrants in extremely cold, overcrowded, unsanitary, and inhumane conditions, and the judge agreed. Look, I don't call them illegal immigrants. I used to call them undocumented workers. Now I call them Christian refugees. Anyone who tells you that uh, Donald Trump is good on immigration is either stupid or lying. If you wanted to stop illegal immigration, there's one way to do it, and only one way. And it's not building a stupid fucking wall that's never going to get built. Less than a mile of wall has been built. It's locking up the white people who do the hiring. If any of these politicians in any party were serious about ending undocumented border crossings, they would just arrest, you know, 40, 50 Caucasians a week for hiring undocumented immigrants. It's supply and demand, folks. You can always tell when a politician is full of crap on this issue. There is no wall they can build that is big enough to hide America's gigantic help-wanted sign at the border. And Donald Trump is a man who has hired undocumented immigrants in two different centuries. Um, And I want to wrap up this little edition by talking about um, a friend of mine. You know, this this podcast was uh, a way to find inspiration a way to just, you know, tell some jokes and bring out some facts and some points of view I don't hear too much in mainstream media and a way to tell you you're not crazy and to tell myself I'm not crazy because that's how the gaslighting is. They want us to despair. They want us to check out. Donald Trump convinced everybody that Hillary Clinton was as shitty a person as him and 46% of us stayed home. We can't do it. And um, I tell everybody at a lot of my shows to please take care of yourself and stay alive. You know, watch the drugs, watch the partying, eat healthy, watch the meat, wheat, and dairy. You got to be alive. 
because Donald Trump's going to die someday and we all deserve to be there. I don't want him to die. I want three ghosts to visit him on Christmas Eve and make him a good person. But someday he will. There'll be no more mean tweets. Historians will just tell the facts without being worried of mean tweets. He will, you know, go before St. Peter and discover what extreme vetting really fucking means. But a lot of us aren't going to make it. And a good friend of mine didn't make it last week. Now, some of you have written me with some very nice comments. Um, I did this uh, thread on Twitter and uh, some postings on Instagram and, and Facebook as a sort of a memorial tribute to my friend Jennifer Fields Summer. Some of you in the Stephanie Miller community may have known Jennifer. She's a very talented photographer from uh, the great state of Kentucky. And boy, did she despise Mitch McConnell. Jennifer was a photographer who was a force of nature, incredibly positive on uh, on Facebook. And um, she, she we used to, whenever we were performing in the Midwest, whether it was with the Sexy Liberal Tour or any shows I was doing, uh, she would come out and uh, and photograph the shows. I have beautiful pictures of Stephanie Miller, and she shot for Angela and Al and me over the years. She, I learned a lot. I'm not very good at posing for pictures. Um, I live with a woman who's really good, and I have a very photogenic son and a very photogenic cat and dog. I tend to look like Katie Lang having an allergic reaction to bad cheese. I just, I don't know how to smile. It's, it's awful. She taught me a lot to relax. She taught me to give photographers credit when you post their work on social media. Um, the last time I saw Jen was the last time the Sexy Liberals played Chicago, which was in uh, 2016, right after my mom died. And she wanted to take my picture, and I was just too grief-stricken. I had a beard and, and my funeral beard, and I, I just couldn't do it. Um, but I did, and uh, I never showed the pictures to anyone because there was just too much pain. But I, I shared them this week because um, right after that show in Chicago in 2016, Jennifer was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she's had a uh, three-and-a-half-year struggle with this evil disease. And she succumbed last week at the age of 41 years. Now, uh, the reason I did a extended obituary for my friend was because um, her husband, they were, uh, they were estranged. They were still very close, but they were separated. Uh, her husband killed himself two weeks before she died. And they have a 16-year-old son named Dakota. This kid just lost both of his parents in a span of three weeks in profoundly different ways. And... Um, so there's a GoFundMe for him and there's a Venmo account and uh, he's now going to be living with Jen's, uh, Jen's aunt. And you can go on my social media um, and, and read my tribute. But I shared her obituary and I want to share a little bit of an obituary with you, which may seem dark and incongruous, but she was a very cool chick and uh, a buoyant hippie girl who was uh, completely uh, brutally liberal and she loved music she loved the band and Robbie Robertson she loved uh, God so many so many great bands that she introduced me to um, her obituary said Jennifer was not one to focus on death she didn't have time for it she was too busy living the heck out of each and every day capturing the most ordinary moments in the most beautiful ways with her camera turning the deepest thoughts into words that ran across the page like water and creating a hundred different kinds of art with her hands and her heart. Perhaps that's why we're all so surprised to realize she's gone. You hear it every time someone passes, but Jennifer really was one of a kind. She made you feel like family from the moment she met you. She was fiercely loyal to the ones she loved, and she was exceptionally generous with her time, art, emotions, and funds. She could tell a story like nobody's business, swear like a sailor, and leaves behind a lengthy trail of totally filthy double entendres. To know her 
was to love her and to also learn an astonishing number of euphemisms for anatomy normally not mentioned in polite company. Jen blossomed when she became a mother, and Dakota was her life's biggest muse. We're all proud of our children, but she positively beamed when talking about her son's gentle spirit, tender heart, and wise soul. He guided her into becoming a true artist, because in motherhood, she found endless inspiration. She loved that quote about how being a mom means choosing to forever have your heart walking around outside your body. That means her heart is still with us. True to her giving nature, Jennifer shared um, her Aunt Deb with multitude of friends. There's no telling how many lives have been changed for better thanks to that dynamic duo and her ability to make us laugh, cry, and flat out be a better person. To feel worthy of her friendship, love, and and profanity-laced advice. Many people have asked how they can best honor Jennifer's memory. And here's the part I wanted you guys to hear while I'm reading this. So we can present you a non-comprehensive list of things that you can do to be more like her. Make new friends. Literally everywhere you go. The gas station, Starbucks, Target, the thrift shop, standing in line in the fabric store, public restrooms. Donate to the causes she was passionate about. Rain, Planned Parenthood, local LGBTQ plus organizations, animal shelters, any political campaign that works towards peace, equality, and beating Donald Trump in 2020. Live each day like it's your last day to make an off-color joke. Never, ever let a chance to use that's what she said pass you by. Binge watch the entire series of The Office and Sex and the City at least once a year. Make birthday and Christmas packages absolutely epic. Get to know your people. Understand what makes their hearts beat faster. Seashells, feathers, driftwood, sign books. It's not what you buy, it's what you know. Celebrate the people you love like it's your ding-dang paid occupation each day. On every occasion. Get a mammogram. Encourage someone you love to get one. Make art. Make love. Make someone smile by proclaiming you love them in all caps. Make band names out of your most embarrassing typos. Make kindness your religion. Say I love you often. Every time you talk. Every time you see each other. Every time you leave. Love endures all things, even death. Remember that. Losing her leaves a terrible hole in the fabric of the universe. She will be missed in ways we can't even contemplate right now. It will be hard to mourn her in the days ahead, and it's almost impossible to contemplate a world without our friend. As much as we hate to say goodbye, however, we have a lifetime of good memories. It's those memories that will carry us through. Jennifer loved mermaids. She's still out there somewhere, swimming in starlight, shining like the moon. Her light will continue to make us brighter and braver just like it always did. I want to thank Jennifer for taking so many great photos of the the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Tour in Madison and in uh, Chicago over the years and in Columbus, Ohio as well. Um, I encourage you to read my tributes to her on on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and um, go to the GoFundMe for her kid if you've got a few bucks. Dakota is 16 and just lost his dad to suicide and his mom to cancer in a single month. So, that makes me feel how I felt 10 years ago when I went to Haiti after the quake to perform for the, stu- the, 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 the troops after the, they were there on their humanitarian mission. What I saw in Haiti made me want to never complain again. And when I think of what a 16-year-old boy in Kentucky is dealing with right now, it just makes me want to fight even harder for the good things. There's a lot of them. You know, hating each other... And hating people with different views is not going to save America. The only thing that's going to save our country is love. Love for America. Love from America. 
So you can always donate Debbie Reeker, D-E-B-B-I-E-R-E-K-E-R at fund four, F-U-N-D number four, Dakota on Venmo. Um, I want to thank her and I want to thank all the artists and all the people who bring light into the lives of others. It's really easy to fall into despair and bleakness at a time like this. I know so well. I will sit down with you someday and tell you every antidepressant, every mirth control pill I ever took. But be somebody else's antidepressant. It's the best way to be your own. As Bernard Baruch said, no one should think themselves a zero and think they can do nothing about the state of the world. Thank you guys very much. I didn't mean to get all weepy. But you know, there's so much to be grateful for. As shitty as it all is, there's so much to fight for, so much to love, so many reasons to be grateful that we're still here. And one of them is, Trump's going to die someday. And we get to be there for it, hopefully. And again, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to suffer. I want to see the funeral because you know Melania is going to bring a date. But, uh, you know, I would never pee on his grave. He might like it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm John Fuglesang. Thanks to Chris Lavoie and everyone at Stephanie Miller, Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. We'll be back next week. Peace. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes. Glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and large under-eye bags. You rummage through your bag thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com and enter Voices for 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com to get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mention code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 90-day money-back guarantee, so to get our special discount, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com.